0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com.
1: All
0: right, I am joined this week by Ed Masters making his return to the show just ahead of the first Tasmanian iteration of Red Bull Hardline, where Ed'll be racing this weekend, and we talk about that new hardline course and a whole lot more including how you go about building and testing something that gnarly without inducing too much carnage and kind of the evolution of hardline as an event and then along with that we get into it about the state of mountain bike racing in general just including the state of the enduro world cup downhill world cup racing the fact that a lot of companies seem to kind of be pulling back from racing in various ways right now and talk about navigating that as a pro racer and what the future holds how ed would go about making tweaks to the series to improve things and a whole lot more it is as always with him a fun conversation so hope you enjoy i sure did But before we get into it, I do want to take a minute to encourage you to check out our Blister Plus membership, which gets you a whole bunch of great stuff, including the ability to send an email and get personalized gear recommendations from us for whatever it is you may be looking for, including your next new bike, an upgrade of some parts, just how to work on your setup, or really whatever it is that you need help with, and on top of that, you get some really good discounts on a bunch of gear, accident insurance with $25,000 of coverage and no deductible if you've hurt yourself biking or skiing or doing any very extensive number of outdoor activities, and a whole lot more. There's a link in the show notes, so check that out, get yourself signed up, get yourself protected, get yourself some good gear advice. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Ed Masters. Well, Ed, good to sit down and chat for what's, I guess, kind of turning into a annual off-season little check-in here. i um, been doing these for a bit now. How are you doing, and where are you right now?
1: Uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me back. It is turning into a bit of an annual um, event for us. Um, always good to sit down and chat with you guys, so um, cheers for that. Where am I? I'm in Queenstown just sitting in my lounge. Um, And yeah, just in the thick of our off-season, things are like kind of on a natural crescendo ramping up towards the race season. So riding a lot of bikes, trying to stay fit and healthy, trying to rehab any niggling injuries from the previous seasons and get on top of things before it all kicks off. And yeah, first big event next week, Hardline, so Riding the downhill bike quite a lot and trying to clock a few air miles. <laughs> um, in, pre- in preparation for that, I don't like how how best do you prepare for hardline. You just kind of try and feel as comfy as you can on the bike. So that's what I've been doing. Um, so yeah, I'm fired up for that. And yeah, no, nah, it's been good. I've been having a sweet off season. It's um, You know, the race season didn't go as well. Didn't really go to plan for me. So I spent quite a lot of time off the bike. So I've been making up for it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about a bunch of that. I mean, as you sort of keyed up there, you obviously um, smashed up your shoulder and didn't exactly have the race season that I'm sure you hoped for, but how's that feeling, kind of getting back into the swing of things?
1: Yeah, it's all good. Like, I had um, basically, yeah, I smashed my shoulder up at the first European Enduro in finale, and... It was it wasn't like a major shoulder injury. It's kind of like a, a broke broke a bone called your coracoid, which is it's kind of just a fuse box for um for some nerves and ligaments and stuff. Um, but it doesn't really like serve a structural purpose in your shoulder. So you wouldn't really even know it exists. Um, and then so the rehab for that was just to like give it six weeks, but the way that the season was structured um, only had we had these two like definitive blocks of racing, so that first six weeks basically put me out of that whole block of racing. Um, even though I wasn't like in crazy pain or anything, um, it was just doctor's orders to let it heal by itself. Um, and then we had a big break, so I went to Canada and stuff and raced Crankworks, came back, race world champs, Andorra, and then, um, shattered my knuckle in, and in, in, um, Ludenville at the Enduro. So, and the knuckle was actually a real prick of an injury. Um, you know, initially I thought I'd just broken my finger. So I carried on and tried to race the, whole, the rest of the day, knowing that I like my finger was pretty mangled, but I'd actually shattered, shattered the fifth meter into like five pieces. um, and then being a small bone into a lot of smaller pieces, it was pretty complicated, um complicated surgery to to fix it. And then yeah, it's just it just took a long time for it to come right. And I don't think it'll ever fully come right, but I've gone for the improvise, adapt, overcome <laughs> approach to uh this injury and you just kind of get on with it. So don't totally have um Full strength in my little finger, but um, I guess that just makes the other ones stronger. So <laughs> we're sweet. To, we're sweet to ride bikes.
0: Well, that's one way to look at it.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least just the little one, right? <laughs> Small. It's kind of yeah. weak already. You don't really need those.
1: Nah. Well, uh, you kind of do. You kind of do. But, um, <laughs> I wasn't serious. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like your claw finger. But so basically, like I couldn't even really bend it for, um, and slowly. So I, when I started riding again, I put a grip over the top of the grip at the end. So on the end of my grip was really fat and I just slowly been like making it smaller and smaller and smaller. So I've gotten it down to back to being a normal grip. Um, so it's slowly just getting better and better and better. Um, but yeah, it was definitely an area of concern <laughs> for the first, first couple of months. Um, Every time you go to a doctor, they go, "Oh," and that's not really. <laughs> that's it's not, not the reaction really right, you, you want. No, yeah, they're like, "Oh, that, yeah, you've really made a mess there." But um, no, I'm pretty stoked to have come out of that cloud and pretty much in the clear. So, yeah, pretty happy about that. It's taken a fair bit of work, but we got there in the end.
0: Well glad to hear that's on the mend at least and um yeah well as you said uh hardline coming up very shortly here which one i guess an early start to the race season and two a hell of a way to kick it off Mm. how's as you said i don't really know how you're supposed to prepare for that but how's that going and what's that looks like for you
1: um yeah i'm quite excited obviously you're like nervously apprehensive um, you know, the with it being a new hardline course and obviously they want to make a splash, they're gonna try and make it pretty XL. Um so but Bernard went over and tested a bunch of stuff, um, and they'll they'll make some few like minor tweaks to the jumps. So he's pretty confident that the course will actually ride really well with those changes. So obviously your first hits are going to be pretty terrifying, but I go for the approach of watch, watch, follow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So like, I'm not guinea pig. I'm not going to be guinea pigging any of that stuff. I just, you know, watch a few hits on it and then follow someone that you like trust for speed or has like a similar kind of jumping style as yourself. Um, and generally that approach, I've only done one, one hardline event before, but um, yeah, that's the approach I went for last time and it was actually all good. So um, I'm quite excited. It's like, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, do you really want to do hardline? I'm like, yeah. Cause for one, you don't really get to challenge yourself as a racer on jumps and features like that very often because you know it's kind of like blurring the lines between freeride and downhill racing and you know it's not very often that you you're kind of like scared but in a good way um so you know that's kind of i find that quite exciting um you know it's and the whole event is so sick as a group it's not you know, the race is just what you see on TV, but the whole week is just kind of – it's kind of like a team-building exercise where they get a whole bunch of people together and you just, like, work together and, you know, you tackle all these obstacles. Um, so then you come out of it as just this close-knit crew. Um which is what I really liked uh, the, f- the few times I've been to Hardline, It's just been such a fun week hanging out with riders that you might not get to hang out with like in such close quarters. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm frothing for it. How do you prepare? You just, like I said, yeah, <laughs> luckily we've got some pretty big jumps here in Queensland. So I just go and do a few sessions on dream track and ride some higher speed, bigger jumps. Um, and yeah just putting a lot of time on the downhill bike in the last couple of weeks um just to be comfy on it really but i think as long as you're feeling good on the bike then that's the best prep you can have really
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and well i guess on the subject of the bike seeing that you've been on the new prototype now uh yeah the social media so how's that getting on
1: Um, loving your day. Yeah, it's, uh, no, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like I rode that bike, um, a little bit last season when that, when we had, um, had it out here doing some testing and whatnot. Um, obviously raced the whole, well, the downhill races that I did race, just raced on the old bike. Um, and yeah, was pretty excited to get on the new one having ridden it previously. Um, it's just the way that i describe it is that it's a it's a 2024 race bike where our previous model um you know downhill racing in 2019 even though it might look the same it was quite it's quite a bit different so the benefits that well you know the characteristics of the bikes in 2019 are a little bit different to what you want from a race bike in 2024 the tracks nowadays are like rougher straighter you don't really need a bike that's like pedaling amazing you'd rather have like a suspension platform that's going to work really well um and i think this new model bike with a slightly different layout of suspension works pretty damn good for the modern day downhill track. Um so yeah, I'm super excited to be on it. And um very lucky that we've got such a sick bike, it seems to be, you know, as soon as you hop on it, it's mint. Um so I'm stoked. And it was quite like um it kind of behaves similarly to my uh Enduro bike, whereas my previous downhill bike and my Enduro bike would like behave they weren't like very similar at all, um, so that's nice when you're going back and forth. Um, the two bikes feel, you know, a different chassis, but the like actual feel of the suspension kinematics or whatever you'd call it is it's pretty similar. So, makes it easy to just j- jump back and forth. Um, which so I'm loving it. Yeah, stoked.
0: That's good. Yeah, and that really has to help for someone like yourself is hopping back and forth, racing both disciplines to have the bikes feeling more consistent and require less of an adjustment period as you're hopping back and forth. So
1: yeah, big time. Yeah. Cause like, that's nice. Yeah. And I think like just the two disciplines, Enduro and Downhill have become more specialized that to Maybe maybe more so for downhill, but like to race at the top end of downhill, you've, you need to invest a lot of time into your bike, your setup, um, you know, just like it's all those tiny marginal gains that these guys are putting like hundreds of hours into. Um, and, you know, I might not have that time to invest. So to be able to like hop on something that's super comfy and feels similar to what you're riding day in, day out, is um as a massive benefit, I reckon. Um, yeah, and it's yeah, you just feel comfy, which and when you're comfy, way safer, faster.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's better. It helps, yeah, yeah, massively.
0: Well, yeah, to bring it back round to hardline, though, I mean, how carefully have you kind of seen what's going on with the course? How much have you seen at this point? Uh, anything that stands out as being noteworthy or worrisome or whatever the operative word might be? Um,
1: yeah. So like some of the testing, uh, didn't go as smooth as they would have liked. (laughs) Um, so that's, yeah, that's, it's not really worrisome because those are the changes that you need to make. It's just a shame that like, sometimes you have to find out the hard way, but that's, that is the nature of like, you know, if you build a hundred foot jump and it needs to be 95, <laughs> it's, you know, that's kind of, someone has to find out that it needs to be 95. Um, so, yeah. So, Obviously, yeah, there's a few few teething issues with the course, but like that that kind of makes it a bit gives you a bit more confidence going in because we're not turn- we're not turning up cold turkey on something that's never been hit um so like I said, like when Bernie went over and they tested a bunch of stuff um you know that was almost a month ago, so now they c they can make those changes um which makes all the riders feel actually way better. Um but yeah, it's it's gonna be pretty burly. Um but I think they've I think they've made a smart call and like they've left space to grow because like hardline Tasmania is not gonna be a one year thing. Um so it's I think it's better to get through the first year with the cool event, some big stuff, but like not kill everyone. Because <laughs> probably there was the a best, period yeah. yeah, there was a period of, there was a period with the Wales event where like it was quite hard for them to get riders to go. Um because the statistics were just like, you know, half the field were crashing. <laughs> um yeah, so and now they've fine tuned it and they've you know they've they've got a really good package which is like exciting for the viewers. Um, you know. And when something looks big on TV, it's massive in real life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but that that event's been going for almost ten years. So, um, yeah, I think as the years come, the Hardline Tasmania course will will get bigger and bigger and bigger. But like, I think for the first year, it's cool that they're they're building something that's going to work and not like. You know, it's, you don't want to go XXXL and then have every, have everyone be like, nah, no nah, thanks. Yeah. Cause, it, cause yeah, like there's a pretty cool, like, I don't know if Bruni and I don't, yeah, there's, there's like a lot of pretty sick writers on the rider list um, who you might not see at events like that so it'll be pretty cool to keep those kind of names coming back
0: yeah no for sure i mean in in years past hardline hasn't necessarily drawn all that many of the top world cup downhillers and you've got a much bigger list of those folks showing up this time around which is cool yeah
1: yeah i reckon it's it's awesome because it like it's showing you know, you've got free riders racing downhill and you've got downhillers doing like kind of a free ride event, but there's you know, they meet in the middle. Um, which is which is pretty sick and it will give an opportunity for like guys like Bruni and stuff to show a different aspect of their riding, which, cause yeah, it's not often you get to see, you know, those guys hitting big stuff and even just the build up and like the behind the scenes kind of stuff that will come out of the event is pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Looking forward to it. And it's going to be sweet to have some racing to watch this early. So that's cool too. Um, And then, I mean, I guess on that note, just from where you're sitting, how does the state of world cup racing both on the enduro and downhill side fuel at this point, it's been obviously kind of a tumultuous off season. You can put it that way, perhaps had um, a lot of folks changing teams for one thing, but also just a lot of chatter about enduro in particular kind of hurting right now. And just curious for your thoughts on the matter
1: from the outside looking in. Enduro is really hurting, but if you're at the races, the racing is still amazing and really good. Like competitive, more competitive than ever. Um, still racing on like pretty sick courses and stuff. It's just um, no one gets to see that. And then now now with the bike industry struggling a little bit, you know, budgets are tight, Um it's a shame that yeah, brands are gonna pull away from the least visible um discipline. Because yeah, so I think yeah, the problem a lot of the problems are like coming from the inside. You know, if you can't if no one if no one's investing in showing the sport, then obviously that's gonna have a flow on effect. And that's where teams are going to pull out because they're going to be like, "Hey, we can have a World Cup downhill team which is on TV, or we can have an enduro team that you don't get to see anywhere. You can't even follow on Instagram. <laughs> like, uh, which is a real, which is a real shame um, because they had the model so right pre-COVID with putting out amazing content." Um, going to quite like off the beaten track locations and like taking enduro racing worldwide. Um, And then, yeah, and now it's just kind of, it feels like it's slowly like falling in on itself. Um, Yeah, which is like, which is a massive shame. And I think as writers, the only thing we can do is try and like take the ball in our hands. And that's where like people like Moimoi Moi and Jesse and stuff are doing a great job of like putting out their own content because people can follow that. You can, you know, if with Moimoi's vlogs and stuff, um if they're not going to do it, we can do it. Um But as for the future of Enduro, I think it's, you know, it's, the governing bodies and the organization it's it's whether they want to chop the head off or not <laughs> it's up it's like completely up to them um or maybe they'll sell it to someone and it can get the ball rolling again but like two years of damage might take 10 years to get back like yeah so it's um and then like yeah Downhill racing is in the same kind of it's got the same kind of problems with um, you know yes it's on TV and stuff and the racing is just unreal Um, but they're just kind of playing playing with the DNA of the sport a bit much (laughs) You know, you like just, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's, yeah. So like with the semi final and stuff, I think maybe there's like some ego in the way, but no one, no one really wants it. Everyone said, oh, like if we had to choose, we wouldn't do it. Cause downhill racing is all about this one run, you know? Um, and when you're at the races, there's, It's just, it's a bit too hectic. None of the spectators really, like, understand. I can't imagine people are tuning in. I I can imagine you're losing viewers because the race goes for, like, six hours online. Um, But, yeah, and then, so, you know, obviously this is all just um, me thinking out loud, but (laughs) I think it's a case of, like, people don't like to admit they're wrong but you should just <laughs> suck it off and be like, Hey, Hey, we had a go. That didn't work. Let's move on. Try something new. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, and I guess if you were in charge and got to dictate, you know, whatever changes you want to cook up here, let's do one at a time, start with Enduro. You know, what do you think would get things back on track or what would you want to try?
1: Uh, if I had to, like, take over tomorrow, I would try and give the bigger enduro events around the world world enduro status. And so, like, piggyback on events that are already happening, you know. So, like, you might have a big mountain in enduro in America. You'd be like, hey, can we add a pro class, a world enduro class to your event with 200 riders and we'll come – and like bring the world's best enduro guys to your event um, and do that on events that are already happening. So that way you, you're like piggybacking on the resources that other people, you're making their event bigger and it's making your job easier rather than having these standalone ones. Um, yeah. I'd like to, it'd be cool to go back to having some variety you know, if you have a an event or a venue that has the has eight stages, we'll just run eight stages. It doesn't need to be cookie cutter of just five. Um, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with racing a stage that's a minute, and then the next stage being twenty minutes. You know, people just want to race. <laughs> it all adds up to the time. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to meet certain like parameters. Um, you know, in, in Colombia we raced a 26 second stage and it was sick. Um, and the week before we raced a 26 minute stage in Chile, you know, and it's like enduro embodies just being an all round bike rider. So, you know, you can have. Short stages, long stages, you could have two-day events. It doesn't need to be um, so cookie-cutter, With you know. I think that's, that's what was really cool about it. And it is, like, I still love it. Um, that's, like, don't get me wrong. It's just it keeps kind of morphing and changing where I think we need to get back to, like, the roots of just enduro is – it's just mountain biking. You know, it doesn't, you could. <laughs> you can do it on steep flat. Yeah. Just racing.
0: I was gonna say that when you got going about, you know, trying to piggyback on some of the bigger existing enduro events, the, the first thing I had was like, well, does that seem easier than sort of piggybacking on top of the world cup circuit? But what you followed that with makes a lot of sense that trying to you know, cram enduro's into the same, you know, race weekend, race week as cross country and downhill and everything else is going on. Just sort of by necessity cramps the format a bit and doesn't let you have that flexibility that you talked about of do a two day race, do one that has eight stages, whatever the hell.
1: And you're going to like the, you know, like we're going, we're racing downhill races um at venues that aren't quite, maybe not suitable for enduro. That's why. So, like, if you want, if you want to add, make the series like a dream tour. Um, you go to the best, you know. In surfing, it used to be called the Dream Tour because they would take the all the stops on the WSL to the best um, waves around the world. And I think you could you could do that so easily with by piggybacking on the best events. Going to the biggest, the longest, the steepest. Um, Yeah. But I mean, obviously, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. There's no like band aid solution. Well, you don't want a band aid solution. You want to like fix the problem, fix any issues. But I think um, making, because I know like that to host a World Cup or an EWS is pretty pricey um so there's a lot of barriers of entry as an event organizer and i think if you can remove as much mo- as much as those then the cream of the cream of the events will come to the top and people will be like hey like can we do that here rather than being like oh you don't want to charge someone a million dollars to host an event because then they have to charge people gate and they have to charge expo and stuff you want to try and like You want to bring in the sport to the masses. Yeah. So it's tricky.
0: (laughs) It is. I mean, and I guess, you know, there's a balance between like what you're laying out. Sounds great. At some point, you know, things have grown and the desire to try to monetize it somehow. You know, I guess that's the world we live in. That's going to come up. But, um, what about the broadcast side of things for Enduro specifically? Because I mean, as you said, I think it was a lot more dialed a few years back and it's kind of taken a hit, but I am also sympathetic to the idea that it's just sort of by its nature, not a very easy event format to broadcast. Um, yeah, you know, downhill, for example, is just much more straightforward. No question about that. Um, what would you want to see happen on that side of things?
1: It just even just make an effort. <laughs> like, yeah. an effort. cause so, um, in the heyday or the golden era, <laughs> uh, you know, Rick McLaughlin would be at the finish line of each stage interviewing the writers. Some of those interviews would go straight on social media and some would get saved for the post-show wrap up. Um, you know, like, just having those interviews with people at the bottom of the stages means that people following the World Enduro uh, Instagram page can follow the race because you know the riders are telling the story. How was that stage? Richie's like, "Oh, I dropped a chain," and then now I'm twenty seconds back. Then Jesse comes in and he's like, "Oh, I've cra- I crashed. Like, I've broken my shifter." You know, you get the little stories and the like anecdotes and people can piece together and you can kind of follow it. Um, but yeah, none of that, none of that's really happening. Um, yeah. It's pretty easy to get a camera on a raw section and just get some, you know, I think the social media is a huge tool that you can use um, because it doesn't need to be like a polished product. It's just a phone. Yeah. Um, And I don't think there's much of that going on at all. Um, And the stuff that is definitely use a bit of polishing Um, just from what, how it used to be. Um, But I mean, it all sounds very doom and gloom. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And that's where like, yeah. People, yeah, like Jesse and Moi, Moi and stuff are doing a pretty good job because people can follow them as fans of them as riders, but they can also, like, follow the race because if Moi Moi's vlogging it, then he's chatting to, like, the whole field, getting a feel of what's going on and stuff, so, um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's almost like a bit of a call to arms. It's the more the more content the riders can produce, Um yeah. Like writers can really take control of the narrative. Um, You just got to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That idea that, you know, you guys at some point kind of need to market it a bit yourselves. Keep things going here. Makes some sense to me. And I mean, I guess how doom and gloom do you think it really feels from your end? You know, is it how dire are things really? No, nah,
1: it's not like, um, I don't, I don't think it's not doom and gloom. It's just, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a bit of frustration. Um, yeah, you've, you've, you had this cool thing, which, you know, it, the guys who are running have sold to discovery and are now discovery. Um, Enduro got them all. The they got them to the pie that they've got, and then they've just like cast it aside. But they did such an amazing job polishing the sport that is enduro racing, only to like just chuck it to the side. Um, yeah, so it just seems it just seems odd that you know you'd get like it goes yeah, and then doof. Um, but yeah it's. I wouldn't say it's just a lot of yeah there's a lot of rumours and stuff floating around um, yeah because like people were saying maybe they'll replace enduro racing as you know it with e-bike racing but like e-bike racing is um, yeah it hasn't really it's still in the like it's still, it's still figuring out what it is, you know, like no one really knows. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, I don't know how much scrutineering or what, you know, how much engine checking, but there's some, there'd be some loose things going on (laughs) under the hoods of those bikes. I reckon, um, because it's like, you know, it's, it's definitely an arms race. the, with battery development, bike development, motors. Um, yeah. it's There's definitely a different aspect to it.
0: Yeah. I admittedly have not followed it very closely, but <laughs> yeah, the yeah, notion yeah. of having e-bike racing with significant uphill components where just the drive system is such a big determining factor and how fast you can actually go on that seems... Yeah. Pretty pointless to me.
1: Well, you you basically don't win the Enduro racing on the downs. You win on the two power stages. That's
0: um, what I'm saying, yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh if I if I'm weighing sixty kilos and you're weighing eighty kilos, then you've got a crazy advantage on the power stage. Like yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's 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 not the it's not the most fair form of racing. Um, yeah. So, like I said, it's kind of figuring out what it is, but no one really quite knows yet. So we'll see. But um, this it's not, it is it isn't all doom and gloom because like mountain biking still racing or not still hugely popular. People are going to follow it. Um So, yeah, it's just, we're just in a bit of uh, murky waters.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. The question is not, is mountain biking going to die, but just what form it's going to take going forward at the professional level and what that's going to look like. And that doesn't seem entirely clear,
1: but... And then like you said, what would I change for downhill? Well there's like so you know, they're obviously uh they're quite hell bent on making the um prerequisites or whatever you need to enter World Cups a bit harder. And for one, I think that's all good. As long as as long as you can get points and stuff in uh relatively um, you know if everyone knows where you can get your forty points, how you can get them um, what not that's all good um, but you know if they were hypothetically if they were to cut the like field down to thirty or what not like thirties and finals, but I think if we, if we just went back to like 60 people racing, but 30 are on the broadcast, it's like to the person who's tuning in in Norway or America, like what they see of the race is 30. So that is the race on TV. But it doesn't really matter having those other 30 guys go before them. I think, yeah, it's just we're not F1. Um, we don't need to be F1 but the 30 guys who go before them i guarantee it there's like a world champion or you know there's guys who are like slowly like sharpening sharpening their like sword and then they're going to come in but if you if you just cut it down to the 30 then it's it's pretty hard for someone who's not the Jackson Goldstone or the Jordan Williams to to stick at it um yeah, and a lot of these like you look at someone like Dakota Norton, um, you know, like he he's come up through the ranks. Bernie. Bernie cap you know, Bernie didn't qualify for four World Cups. You know, if the, if it goes to a more elitist model, that's that's gonna that's you done. Like you're not gonna come back. You just yeah. Whereas, you know, the the goalposts for someone who, who's like working on their craft, it might be starting out, hey, I just want to qualify. And then it takes you a few attempts to do that. And then you're like, okay, next goalpost, I want to get top 50. And then you get that. And that goalpost just keeps moving. And eventually that guy who like wasn't qualifying is top five in the overall, getting World Cup podiums, battling for wins. And that, that goalpost just moved up But I don't think, I think if you're, yeah, if you keep singing this elite, we just want the best of the best, you're going to miss out on like some pretty, yeah, the talent pool just gets smaller and it's super hard to motivate young, you know, like we've got some crazy fast kids in that, like, and that's worldwide but um to keep them motivated to like you know you can do this if they're not on a factory team or they're not like spotted cuz i think like a lot a lot of young kids are like oh i need to be on a team and i'm like fuck man you can go buy a bike and race and if you're the best you'll win the race like you don't need downhill still a kind of sport where you don't like have to have the truck, the trainer. You can you can still roll up, and if you've got the, if you're the best rider, you'll win. Like I guarantee, I guarantee it. Um, Jackson last year, physically, would not be the strongest, <laughs> or the uh, you know, or the fittest. You know, he's still a kid. He's probably, he's eating lollies having fun. He's actually still just like living like a 19 year old um, because he is 19. Obviously he's got people who are like trying to steer him in the right direction, but like hanging out with him, he's still, he's still 19 year old. Um, But he on the day is maybe the best rider on the course. And that's why he won two world cups on two of the gnarliest tracks one of them, both of them super physical, but like when you're the best, when you're the best skills wise, then you don't need, you might not need to be the fittest or the strongest because the skills make the writing so much easier. Um, so, yeah, you just, yeah. Coming back to it, I think, yeah, definitely going down that route of like the F1 style, Limited amount of teams, certain riders. Um, You you maybe not. You're just kind of cutting cutting out the the little guys who go on to be big guys.
0: No, I think that sounds definitely right.
1: Mm, Which we don't want. Like I I like every everyone should be able to not have a go, but like if you've got the talent, you should be able to go get your points and turn up.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe cutting the field back works if you've got the proper feeder series in place. You know, you have the the next several rungs below World Cups on the ladder that are kind of straightforward to work your way up through, but that doesn't really exist right now. And so, you know, it seems to me like you're just kind of cutting it off with the knees by doing that, perhaps. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see like where they go with it. Um like I said there's heaps of rumors. Um so without going into fit, like too much detail, we just have to kind of like see see how it goes. <laughs> um yeah, it's just I'd hate to this yeah like you kind of always want the next generation to have the same opportunities that you did. And like right now, it doesn't quite seem to be like that. Yeah. It seems like if you're a up and coming junior, then, you know, they're not, they're they're just kind of fixated on having to be on a team or having this stuff. But I think a lot of, a lot of guys can still crack into it, you know, and when they're 23, 24, and then go. Andy Culp, you know, it took ages. Slow burn. Um, and he was he was privateering and he was on bike shop teams and then he went on to, you know, then he got some good results and went on to Afton's on like, just as kind of like a, let's give this guy a shot. And now he's built up to winning races. There's, there's so many there's so many examples of guys who have done that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess the future development is one thing, but how does it feel from your end trying to make a living as a pro racer with so much uncertainty over what the future of the sport looks like hanging over you? That can't be easy either.
1: Nah, definitely like, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's definitely tricky. Um, Lucky, like we've got a pretty close knit team. Um, that at no point has felt like your head's on the chopping block yet, <laughs> but you just with the you know, with the bike industry kind of on a bit of a downturn, yeah, there's a there's definitely, um looking, looking into the future, you don't really know what the future holds. Um, but, but I mean, that's just the nature of being a professional athlete as well as like, you know, you're, you are only as good as your race results or, you know, what you make of it. Um, and you know, you're not signing 10 year deals. (laughs) So, um, as you come to the end of a contract, you're always, it's always, you don't really know how, what goes next. Um, Yeah. So I'm just stoked to be able to keep doing it. Yeah. It's like, it's the kind of like, I'll keep paddling to stay on the wave. (laughs) Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And like it, you know, it's the nature of, um, it's the nature of, how these sports go is that at some point the wave kicks you off Um, but we all know that so yeah it's not like you're yeah (laughs) it's a a funny one Mm. and then you you know like I'm sure if you'd asked my brother six years ago um, you know now you know his his kind of job has changed where GT are just happy for him to go racing because he loves racing. But like if if he wanted to sit out a race, it's doesn't matter. It's like you know, he's he's got a lot of things little going on. Um but I am sure if you if you said that to him six years ago he like wouldn't believe you because you are six years ago he was like oh my value to the to my my value of my job is being a fast racer um so and that that's kind of morphed into what his job is now which is you know he wears a lot of hats and only one of them is a racer um yeah so improvise adapt overcome again
0: yeah it's the way forward i suppose and well we've touched on a hard line coming up but what are your 2024 plans look like beyond that? Good question.
1: Actually, I don't, um, yeah. So I just want to, my, like, just try and stay busy. Um, I think the best thing you can do when like we're kind of in the climate that we are now is just be a yes man. So you want me to do it? I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I'd I'd like to I think I'd like to race more downhill than I'm probably going to be able to just the way the events are staggered with enduro sharing a lot of um, venues with downhill and I don't think um, you'd be able to double dip um, but like if that's an opportunity I'm just going to yeah just try and stay as busy as I can um, so yeah I'll probably. I'll do all the enduros. I mean, I think on paper, I'll probably get four downhill races, maybe world champs depending on results. Um, crank quirks going to try to get to Sea Otter. Um, and then, yeah, just whatever comes up. Keep filming, doing some Edible Media House stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, just try and stay busy. Yeah. Don't say no, say yes. I think that would be my advice for anyone in 2024 as a professional (laughs) mountain biker. Smile and nod.
0: Fair enough. Well, that's probably a pretty good note to wrap up on. But Ed, been good chatting as always and appreciate you having me on. It's been great.
1: No, thanks, man. We've already done 50 minutes. Jesus.
0: Yeah, we're cruising here. Best luck with everything and uh, just hoping for a healthier and injury-free season this time around. So good luck, man.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, cheers. No, I'm, uh that's, that's definitely the goal. Yeah, healthy and fun.
0: About all we can ask for, right? Yeah. Well, thanks again, Ed. Been fun. Righto. All right that's it for this edition of bikes and big ideas and as always we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice to help keep the show going and growing i'd also like to say thanks to ed for the conversation and good luck at hardline this weekend pretty excited to watch all that thanks to taylor Ahern for producing the episode and thanks to you for listening from all of us at blister please take good care of yourself and everybody else and we'll be back again next week bye everybody